again, happy Easter to you. It is great to have you with us in large part because I think there's a lot of confusion still about Easter. After all the churches, after all the years of doing Easter services within our church, there's a recent survey that showed that 46% of people in America believe that Easter is about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that it directly applies to their life, 46%. There are another two to 6% that believe that Easter was actually a celebration of Jesus' birth. There's another two to 6% that believe that Easter is a celebration of the end of winter and the beginning of spring. When pushed even more about their belief in the resurrection, 66%, They said, oh, you know what? Yes, I do believe that Jesus died and rose again. Another 14% said, well, I think maybe that was possible. I'm not sure. And 20% said, no, not at all. So the way I see it, 80% of Americans are willing to approach Easter with the understanding that, yeah, maybe Jesus did something incredible for me, but less than half of them believe it's important for them that Jesus did something for them. And that's what I'd like to clear up today. For the next little bit, I just want to remind you not only of what Jesus did, but who he did it for. And I think you might be surprised. And I'm hoping that you recognize that he rose for you. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the Gospel of Mark. As a church, we've been going through the last week of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can join me there. If you're like, oh shoot, I knew I forgot something relax. Everyone's so worried about doing the wrong thing at this church. Just relax. You can just download the Chino Valley Community Church app. It's okay to have your phones out. Your mom won't get mad. Pull your phone out, download the app. It's a great way to get communication, but you can also touch the Bible tab down at the bottom and follow along with us at the Chino Valley Community Church app. While you're turning in your Bibles, while you're downloading the app, let me catch you up on the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is one of my favorite Gospels, and here's why. He is quick and to the point. It's the Gospel for people with a low attention span. Mark doesn't get caught up in fancy words. He doesn't get caught up in the weeds. He's just someone to give you the quick and dirty story of what happened. And that's what I want to share with you on Easter. For those of you worried you're not going to get home in time for your brisket, I promise this is going to be the shortest message ever. That's why I picked Mark. People are always worried I'm going to preach too long. So I picked the the shortest book of the Bible regarding the resurrection of Jesus. Mark chapter 16. Here's what happened in the story already. Jesus has already been betrayed by one of his disciples, a man named Judas. He's already been beaten. He's already been crucified. He's already been hurriedly buried. And according to the book of Mark, no one should be surprised at what's going to happen next. If you were walking with Jesus, if you're ministering with him, no one to be surprised. Let me show you some of the things he said. At the beginning of Mark, he said this, as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the son of man rose from the dead. He continued and he said this, they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. Right? So they heard him. Jesus said, hey, don't talk to people until after I rise from the dead. And the scripture says they were thinking, I wonder what that means. Just a little bit later, Jesus says this. 
For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he has been killed, look at that, he will rise three days later. Hey, relax. I'm going to get killed, but relax. In three days, I'm going to rise again. He says it just a little bit later. Look what he says in Mark chapter 10. Behold, my second favorite word in the entire Bible. That word behold, it means surprise. It's there to draw your attention that something's going to happen you're not expecting. When I see beholds in the Bible, I always circle them as a reminder to me that what happens next is a surprise. It says, behold, surprise, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles. He continues and he says this, they will mock him, spit on him, scourge him, kill him. And in three days, three days later, he'll rise again. So no one should be surprised. But here's the thing. See, I'm not worried about confusion in our culture on Easter because even at the first Easter, people were confused. Not just culture. His own followers, his own disciples, own people freak out and say, oh my gosh, culture's going bananas. Relax, it was bananas when Jesus was here. But let me show you what happened next. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 16. Mark takes 15 chapters to tell everyone what Jesus is going to do. And then he takes seven verses to tell everyone what he did and who he rose for. That's why I show you. I think you'll be surprised at the first group that Mark mentions that Jesus rose for. Look at it. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Mark says this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might come and anoint him. So the first thing you see is this powerhouse of women. A lot of people are like, oh, Brian, women in that day didn't matter. You just kind of bypass them. Let me tell you about these women. These women were fantastic. Let me go through some of their names. Salome, we don't know a ton about her, but most people believe she's the mom of James and John, the disciples, the sons of thunder. You remember them. There's those passionate, impetuous disciples. They asked Jesus to rain fire from heaven down on the Samaritans. They wanted to consume an entire town in the judgment of God. Salome was the one who came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, when you build your kingdom, can you put one son on your left, one son on your right? It'd make a great photo op. They'll be great in your kingdom. They're good boys. They're going to be fantastic. Give them a great job. I want you to notice who showed up that first Easter morning. It wasn't James and John. They were hiding in a room. It was their mom, Salome. There's someone else, Mary, the mother of James. In the chapter before, it says, Mother, Mary, the mother of James, the lesser. How'd you like to be that mom? Now, notice your name, Mary. There's all these famous Marys, and you're like, Mary, oh, the mother of Jesus? No. Oh, Mary Magdalene? No. I'm Mary, the mother of James. Oh, James the disciple? No. James the brother of Jesus? No. Oh, James the lesser? Yeah, that's me. I'm James the not as good as all the other James, and this is my mom. That's pretty much all we know about her. Some people believe that she's the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then you have Mary Magdalene. We know the most about her. Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons until she met Jesus. And Jesus healed her from that. The Bible also tells us that Mary Magdalene and some other ladies, they ministered to Jesus during his ministry time on earth. 
There's only two groups that the Bible says has ministered to Jesus. Angels and Mary and some other ladies ministered. They poured into, they sustained, they invested in. They lifted the ministry of Jesus up. So I got to make sure you understand these women are no, they're not nobodies. These are followers of Jesus. These are great leaders in the ministry. These were a powerhouse of women. These are the who's who of the ladies. And they were coming to the tomb that morning not to celebrate his rising, but to mourn his death. I mean, these were the mature ladies that they were walking with Jesus. They heard the same thing that everyone else did. First group that Jesus showed up for that Easter. Jesus rose for the unsuspecting. Powerful ladies. Mature people. Angels and Mary and her girls. The only groups that ministered to Jesus that poured in and sustained his life and strengthened his future. And they showed up at the tomb unsuspecting of what Jesus had done. We know that because they brought spices so they can anoint him. He was hurriedly buried. They came to pay his respects to the one man that changed their life. Man, Jesus was the first religious leader that would look them in the eyes and say they had value that allow them to serve and lead and have a, have a role in the kingdom. Man, they came to pay respects to the man that changed their life. And look what happened next, verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? Man, they thought they thought of everything. They had all the spices, they had all the ointments, they were all ready, and then they forgot one detail, the stone in front of the tomb. I'm convinced from this day on, you wonder why your wives and moms have been planning for Easter for weeks because of this story right here. Those ladies forgot one thing, and now my wife and my mother-in-law, they're not going to forget anything when it comes to Easter. But look, Jesus even took care of that. They're like, who's going to roll the tomb, or the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Verse 4 and looking up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, although it was extremely large. So here's these ladies who Jesus said, I'm going to rise in three days. That just glossed over their head. They're going there to mourn. They're completely unexpecting what Jesus did. Look what happened, verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a, right, a white robe. That's Mark's way of saying an angel. And look what it says. It says, they were amazed that term amazed, their minds were blown. They were struck with awe. They were shaking their heads in confusion. They were just standing there with their mouth agape. They were completely unsuspecting of what Jesus had done. And I was thinking this week, don't you think that's like a lot of us? I mean, we believe, many of us believe that Jesus created everything with a spoken word. I mean, we're here because we believe that Jesus died and rose again but yet we can't trust him with our children, with our grandchildren. The wrong person gets elected and we lose our minds. I mean, aren't we like these unsuspecting ladies? We believe that Jesus can do this work, but when there's something important in our life, we doubt his power to act. And look what the angel said, verse six. He said to them, don't be amazed. Don't do that. Stop it. 
Stop being surprised. The Gospel of Luke, the angel actually came and said, why are you here? You shouldn't be surprised. He's gone. He told you he was going to be gone. He said he's going to meet you in Galilee. Why are you looking for a live man in an area of death? The angel said, don't be amazed. Stop being surprised. You're looking for Jesus in Nazarene who has been crucified. He's risen. He's not here. And there's that word again, behold. Second favorite word in the Bible. Behold. There's the place where they laid him. In Bible terms, ta-da. Hey, Jesus said he was going to rise in three days. Ta-da. He did it. Don't be amazed. Don't be surprised. Jesus did what he said he would do. Here's my question for you. You're here, Zach Brand. I'm here every Easter. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my question is, where's one area that you don't trust God has the power to work, that God has the power to move? One area, some of you might be here and your marriage is just holding on. And you're here wondering if maybe, maybe this is the last Easter for your family together. Maybe this is the Easter that you can believe that Jesus can restore and heal. You might be here and worried about your child, your grandchild. They're too broken. They're too far gone. God can't do a work. Maybe you look at culture. You're ready to move to Texas or Arizona with a third of the rest of our state. God can't do anything. Maybe this is the year that you move forward in faith, that God and Jesus will do what they said they will do. God has said, I control all authority. All the world authority is in the palm of my hands. I have it. Relax. Jesus says, I'm going to handle judgment. Vengeance is mine. I'm going to take care of it. Your job is to forgive. And we don't trust Jesus with his part, so we hold a grudge for years and years, even within our own families. Because we're just like these women unsuspecting that Jesus can and will do what he said. First question for you, if you're coming here thinking maybe you're like these ladies, where do you claim the love of Jesus, but you're unsuspecting that he might be able to do a work in your life? This was Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church, one of my favorite prayers. After Paul says, I pray that you understand the love of Christ. I pray you understand the height and length and, height and, and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. He says, I pray that you get it. But then he finishes the prayer according to the power of God that already works within you, a power that's able to do far beyond what you can ask, think, or even imagine. Man, Paul's prayer, we're not the only ones. These ladies, the unsuspecting ladies, they might have been the first, but they're certainly not the last. How many of you need to give one aspect that you believe God can still do a miracle in your home, in your church, in your heart, in your culture? One of the reasons I think Jesus rose on Easter is for the unsuspecting. But I think there's another crowd. There certainly was another crowd that first Easter. There's another crowd here today. First, Jesus rose for the unsuspecting. Second, he rose for the undeserving. Listen to the rest of the angel's message to these ladies when they get in the tomb. He, he, they already got reprimanded. Why are you doubting? Why are you questioning? Jesus said he was going to do it. Trust him. He was going to do it. He already did it. But then look what he says. Verse 7, this is my favorite word in the Bible, but. 
I call them the big biblical butts, and they're there for a reason. When I see them, I tend to circle them because it tells us that something's going to happen we're not expecting. See, if I was Jesus and I died and rose again, I wouldn't want to talk to my disciples. I might let them into heaven, but I wouldn't want to see them. Jesus is different. Look at the message. He says, but, hey, ladies, now that you're unsuspecting and you recognize that Jesus is able to do far more beyond anything that you could ask, think, or even imagine, but now go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Hey, go tell the disciples. Do you remember the, the story of the disciples? If you have your Bibles, put your thumb in Mark 16. Flip over one page. Mark 14. Let me remind you of something that happened with these disciples. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. It happened before he was betrayed. It's after the Last Supper, before the betrayal. This happened. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. That term fall away, scandalizo in the Greek means you're all going to create a scandal. This is Jesus. Thousands of people around him. He's the biggest ministry name in town. You're all going to create a scandal for me. He's looking at his disciples, his best friends. You're all going to create a scandal. That term scandal, fall away. You're all going to leave. You're all going to quit. You're all going to turn away. And then he quotes an Old Testament passage because it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. There's that word again, 28. But... Here it is again. After I've been raised, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. Why they're shocked, I have no idea. Jesus said it over and over and over again. There's going to be an Easter message. I'm going to rise again. Verse 29, but I'm telling you, now you're going to see those big biblical butts all over. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Peter looks at all his friends. Yeah, Jesus, I can understand these jokers quitting on you. I was expecting it for a while. Jesus, I won't. Peter says, Jesus, I will not fall away from you. Look at verse 30. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Another big but, but Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I will die for you, Jesus. And look how the passage ends. And they were all saying the same thing. All 11 of them. Jesus, we're going to the death for you. We got you. You go do what God has for you. We got your back, Jesus. Well, let me show you what happens later that night. Flip over to verse 48, same chapter. Peter slices off an ear after Jesus betrayed. This is what happens next. Verse 48, Jesus said to the temple guards, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me and you would against, and as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill scriptures. Look at verse 50. And they all left him and fled. After that, they all left him and fled. And let me make sure you understand that term left. It's not a term of proximity. It's a term of commitment. A term left it means they did more than walk away. They divorced themselves from their allegiance to Jesus. They tore up their discipleship ID cards. They canceled their membership with Jesus. Jesus, we're done. We quit. Right there. After they said, well, die for you. Jesus gets arrested. They don't just run. They quit. It says they fled. They left him and fled. That term fled 
means they ran and hid. They didn't just leave the location. They left to blend in the culture. Forget it. We're done standing out. We're done. They completely abandoned Jesus, left him, quit him, canceled him, turned in their membership cards. They're out. And you might say, oh, Brian, that sounds extreme. Let me show you what Mark says next. He's the only gospel writer that has these next two verses. And if you have sons and are like, oh, dad, I know all the Bible stories. This is one of the verses you tell them. Oh, yeah, you know about the naked guy? No, I don't know about the naked guy. Well, look at verse 51. Zane, this is just for you. Where's Zane? Zane's somewhere. Verse 51, a young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. They seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Like this guy believed it was better to run through town completely nude than stay there with Jesus. I mean, these guys had abandoned Jesus. They quit they left, and they'd endure nakedness and humiliation over standing with him. But Jesus, that first Easter, the angel says, no, no, Jesus wants to see them, especially Peter, especially Peter. See, Jesus rose not just for the unsuspecting. He rose for the undeserving. For those people who left, for those people who quit, I mean, and this is what we know about Jesus, right? You're a tax collector. You steal money from good people of God. Jesus will make you a disciple. Peter, you deny him three times at the most dramatic time of Jesus' ministry. Jesus will build a church with you. The apostle Paul, he killed Christians. Greatest movement, one of the greatest Christian leaders of the early church, Mary Magdalene, she was possessed. She was cut off. She was separated. She's one of only two or three people other than angels who are said to minister to Jesus. Now, you want to know why Easter is so important? Not only did Jesus rise for the unsuspecting, he came for the undeserving. In a crowd like this, I have to believe, either here and online, there's people here that think I'm too broken. Jesus can't forgive the things I've done. I'm too rebellious. I have too many questions. I have too many doubts. I have too many fears. I have too many tattoos. I have too many issues. I have too many ex-marriages. I have too much problems. And I just want to tell you, if Jesus could transform the lives of his disciples, he can transform you. Jesus didn't just rise for those undeserving people. He rose for these undeserving people as well. So my question for you, who do you know that you think is too broken, too rebellious, too lost? Or maybe you're here surprised that the walls didn't just cave in even when you walked in. You know why I love the Easter story? Because it's a reminder. It's a reminder that Jesus rose for the unsuspecting people that should know better Jesus rose for the undeserving people who just blew it. There's one last group I want to share with you. Jesus rose for the unsuspecting. He rose for the undeserving. And he rose for the unbelieving. I love how Jesus described why he came. Look at what he said at the beginning of Mark. 
He said this, hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And we're used to that term, sinners. And we're thinking, oh, those are the people that might cheat some on their taxes or speed some on the freeway. That's not what that term means. The term sinner is those who are cast out because of their propensity of sin, those who are especially wicked. It's those people that are so bad their family doesn't want them at Easter. It's people that are so broken that people have just given up on them. They, they don't like them in church. They look at them funny when they're at the store. See, Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'm coming to the people who are just kind of broken. No, Jesus said, I came for the sinners, for the wicked, for the people that are cast out. They're so bad, no one wants to be with them. Jesus said, I came for those people. Look who else Jesus said. The book of John says, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. He said, I came for the people who are just smothering in guilt, who are drowning in shame, who have been brought up in a culture and a world where they just keep holding them down and they don't see any escape. Jesus said, I came for those people that they might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. Jesus said, I came for those people. I love what Paul said, how Paul described it in Acts. He was talking to a bunch of unbelievers. He said this, after he talked about what Jesus did, he said, therefore, let it be known to you the unbelievers, the people that don't buy it. See, the first group were people that bought it, but they weren't expecting God to do it. The second group were the undeserving, or they did it, but they denied it. They walked away from it. They quit it. But this one, this, Jesus also came, and he rose for people that never bought it, never believed in it, always questioned it. He said, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That term forgiveness, a deliverance from sin, a pardon for trespass, an acquittal of your crimes, a complete new beginning and fresh start. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through him. Everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. There's nothing in this world that can give you what Jesus did. Jesus rose again on Easter, not just for the unsuspecting, not just for people that claim Jesus but doubt his work in their lives, not just for the undeserving people who claim Jesus but then quit, blew it, walked away, and people can't imagine if Jesus will ever forgive them. Well, guess what? He did. But this, Jesus also wrote for the people that never bought it. They never took it. They never agreed with it. They never believed it. He says, listen, forgiveness is for you too. He says you need to believe. That term believe is more than just agree with means have faith in, to trust in, to allow this truth to transform your life, change your heart. See, Jesus said, I came. If you will just confess your sins, Jesus says, oh, I'm faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, the power of Easter isn't just that he forgives your sins, but Jesus then takes your broken life, transforms it, renews it, and fills you with his very power and makes you an instrument of his glory. I mean, it's a complete turnaround in life. You want to know why I love Easter? Because it's the perfect demonstration of why Jesus did it. It's not always what we think. The message of Easter might be for you. You believe it. You know all the songs. You memorize all the verses. You got all the awards growing up. But there's still an area of your life where you doubt God's power to work. 
Maybe this Easter. Maybe this Easter is the time that you move forward in faith and confidence that Jesus can change something in your life, in your home, in your culture, and in your church. Or maybe you're here because you walked away. Man, you once believed in Jesus, but something happened. Maybe it's busyness of life or the wounds of someone else that they caused on you, and you just walked away and you left. And you're questioning whether you can come back. That's the beauty of Easter. Jesus rose not just for the unsuspecting, but the undeserving. Or maybe this is the first time where you've actually heard that Jesus rose for you. You've never believed it before, but now you're ready and willing to allow this truth to change your life. So I think Easter is here for all of us to respond in one way or another. The question is, how do you want to respond this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, we're here. We're here because of something you did thousands of years ago. God, some of us are here because we believe in you. We believe in your power. We believe you created everything with a spoken word. We believe that you're sovereign and in control of all things. God, we believe it. We sing it. We pray it. But God, there's some of us here who doubt it when it comes to one aspect of our life. God, I'm sure there's someone here that thinks their marriage is beyond saving. God, there's other here that think their kids or grandkids are beyond reaching. God, I'm sure there's others who think that this culture is beyond changing. So God, for those people, those Christians, those people who know you and love you, who have been serving you, God, but there's one area that they fail to trust you in, God, we... Will you just open their eyes and allow them to give it to you today? God, give them faith in believing in the unbelievable things that you've done. God, I also pray for people who are here who feel they're undeserving of your love. God, they think they're too broken, they're too lost. They've quit too many times that there's no way that you're allowing them to come back once again to try a relationship with you. God, I pray for those people that you open their eyes and allow them to see you as I do. God, I open their heart, allow them to receive your forgiveness again. God, that you might begin changing their life and transforming their life even now. God, restore to them the joy of their salvation. Renew in them a heart for your word, a desire for you. God, lastly, I pray for those people here who have yet to give their lives to you. God, they may, they may agree that Jesus was real. They may believe that it's a historic event, but they've never committed their lives. God, for those people, I pray. Open their eyes and allow them to see you as those disciples did so many years ago. God, allow them to believe in you. Give them faith. God, give them humility right now that allows them to just silently lift their brokenness, their fears, their struggles, their doubts, their pains. Allow them to just unload their grief, their shame, their guilt. And Jesus, I pray you do just what you've promised. Jesus, will you forgive them? 
Jesus, may you give them a peace that's beyond human comprehension as they entrust their life to you. And Jesus, may you fill them with your spirit, the spirit that will lead them and guide them in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, the spirit that will transform their life starting even today. Give them a joy, a joy that's overflowing, a confidence and a peace. God, however people are responding today, Jesus, I pray you hear them, that you would respond. God, that you would bind us closer together as a family of broken people here this morning on the one thing that we all share is a need for your Easter message in our lives. Hear our responses. Transform our lives. Direct our future we might bring you even more glory together. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.